Hello and welcome to this week's Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. On today's show, we'll be focusing on laws governing US sports marketing. This week's guest is Mark Roth, the co-chair of the Telephone Communications Protections Act Regulations, Compliance and Class Action Practice at the US law firm Manat Phelps & Phillips. In this interview, Mark explains the risks associated to US sports teams that are not compliant with the Telephone Communications Protections Act, referred to as the TCPA. This can result in significant fines, as we saw earlier this year, when several US sports teams were hit with lawsuits under the TCPA, including the Buffalo Bills, who paid $3 million in a class action settlement after the team was accused of sending more text message alerts than outlined in their terms of service. We also touch on potential new regulations regarding native advertising and discuss future changes in privacy laws that may affect how sports businesses manage their customer data. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. Mark, thanks for joining me today. Could you tell us about the Telephone Communications Act and when it was introduced? It was first introduced in 1991 to, with, with the primary goal to protect consumers' privacy uh, in their home via their telephone and also the costs associated with receiving uh, calls to their cell phones. Because at that time, most consumers were paying for calls made to and from their, their mobile phones. Text messaging wasn't really in existence at that time, so it wasn't that much of a concern. But the Congress recognized that consumers were getting pre-recorded messages in their homes and were being charged for calls to their cell phones, and that prompted them to pass the TCPA in 1991. And in the last year, am I right that there's been some new regulations regarding this? That's right. Uh, in la- last October, October 16, 2013, new regulations promulgated by the Federal Communications Commission, which is the primary federal agency charged with enforcing the TCPA, uh, the new rules came into play. Uh, Keep in mind that the new rules were actually um, uh, developed a year earlier in 2012, in February 2012, but the FCC gave uh, industry 18 months to comply um, with the new rules, and at least to prepare for compliance. Uh, The new rules kind of went unnoticed by many companies in many industries until the day, the uh, dreaded day in October, neared, and then everyone's ears perked up and realized that, oh my God, this is, this is a game changer. So what changed? The rules for obtaining consent from consumers to send uh, text messages or to place calls to people's cell phones or to place pre-recorded calls to landline calls, uh, landline, uh, landlines, uh, changed. Previously, if a consumer gave their cell phone number, that was deemed permission uh, to uh, call that person on that phone number or to send them a text message. That changed because there were other rules um, enforced by a different federal agency that said, no, that's not enough. You have to get express written consent, which is beyond just the mere provision of a phone number. Now you have to get a written agreement from the consumer for marketing messages. If it is a non-marketing message, the consumer giving their phone number is is, is sufficient. That satisfies the law. Um, For example, to get reminders about prescriptions or healthcare messages or things like that. But now, if you want to send them a text message with a marketing uh, or promotional message in it, it has to comply with certain uh, language requirements in the new rules that makes it much more difficult for companies to obtain from consumers. The worst part is that companies that spent 
a lot of money, a lot of time and resources developing their databases to send consumers marketing messages by text message were not grandfathered in. So that as of October 16, 2013, all consents that were obtained prior to that date were effectively dead. They could not be used. Or if they did and the company wanted to risk a lawsuit under the law, that would <laughs> that's, a, that's an approach uh, that some companies took as well. But for the most part, with the rule change and the heightened sense of consent required, many companies were left with effectively um, a dead customer list for, for communicating with consumers. The downside for this law, if you violate the TCPA, is um, uncapped damages of $500 per violation, that's per text message, for a negligent texting or calling a consumer, or $1,500 per violation for a knowing um, and willful violation, which most plaintiffs allege. So the risks are very, very high under this statute, and so the change in the rules really caused a lot of confusion and issues for uh, many in the industry. So what form does the written consent have to take? The written consent has to be um, a written agreement, which could be done electronically. So it could be done online. Um, it doesn't have to be paper. So when we talk about written, under the um, eSign Act, which is the Electronic Signatures Act that was implemented by Congress over a decade ago, that gives equal dignity to an electronic contract as a written contract. So it can be done online with a click, for example. It can also be done through an, um, uh, it's called an IVR system. If someone calls up a phone number and the disclosure says, do you want to receive text messages, uh, please press it in your number and then press pound or press some other button that indicates their signature. That would also satisfy the law. What is difficult to, uh, to address, and we really have not seen a perfect solution, is the traditional um, call to action to consumers saying, text um, yes or coupon or something to a short code of five numbers. Then, by, in the old model, by merely doing that, the consumers effectively opted in to receive marketing messages. Again, that is expressed consent, but not written consent. So that satisfied the old rules. The new rules that say express written consent um, means that the agreement has to come from the consumer. And just by texting a short code, like the word yes, that's not sufficient. And in addition, and which is most confusing, is the disclosure in the agreement, the consumer agreement, also has to have the words, um, I agree to re uh, receive automated messages or messages delivered by, by an auto dialer which right now might be confusing to a consumer because they don't know what an auto dialer is. And when you're getting a text message, you don't think you're getting a phone call. But under the U.S. law, a text message is a phone call. And secondly, you also have to disclose, and these are the exact words in the statute, that my agreement to receive messages is not a condition of making a purchase. That's very confusing in a situation, for example, in an in-stadium promotion, where you want to text something you know, to see your message up on the big board or to guess uh, the next play or something like that. And then the, the, the team wants to start sending you coupons or discounts at the store, but there is no purchase involved in merely texting. So it's confusing to a consumer who might think, why would I do this? Because they tell me there's no purchase, but why would I even worry about that? Because I know there's no purchase, and it may deter consumers from doing that. 
So in addition to the logistical issues of having those certain words in the consumer agreement and having that done, it's also confusing to consumers. So the new rules really provide a, uh, present a really big problem to the sports industry. So have there been any teams that have fallen foul of these regulations? Well, interestingly, we have not seen a lot of litigation based on the new rules, which we expected. We thought with the new rules and the heightened consent requirements that lawsuits would start flooding the courthouses, and they really haven't um, for various unknown reasons. <laughs> um, maybe because, at least under U.S. law, with respect to uh, bringing a class action, which is the most popular way to make money in this country, um, is to sue these to sue companies, uh, is that um, you have to prove that all situations by which the consumer provided their consent, or allegedly, or did not provide consent, occurred the same way. That is called commonality under the uh, class action uh, universe. And so, depending on how a company obtains consent, if it's done differently in different scenarios, for example, in stadium or online or on paper, the wording of the consents may be very different. So you may not have one very, very large class, which would be a big payday for a plaintiff's firm, but you have many different ways of getting consent so that um, class certification would likely not go forward because there's many different factual uh, patterns to consider for a court. And the court may say, sorry, plaintiff, um, there's not one set of common facts here. There's many different, so therefore this case is not appropriate for class action. But we have seen prior to, cases brought prior to new rules going into effect for various football teams um, as well as basketball teams that had in-stadium, in-arena promotions where people were texting in um, for, again, to see their message on the big board, on the scoreboard, or to uh, guess who's going to uh, win or, or do a certain play. Um, and then the, the team started texting the consumers on that phone number. The consumers argued, I never gave you my consent for those marketing messages. And so therefore, or one team actually said, you'll receive no more than five per week. They started getting 10 per week. So obviously, plaintiffs and, and consumers sued, and a lot of these teams just settled just to make it go away. And the settlements actually almost benefited them because it was a credit that was issued towards uh, merchandise in the team store. So from a monetary perspective, they may have lost a little, but from a branding perspective, it's probably a win. So in these situations, where do you think there's been a breakdown in the internal processes? Is it the lawyers not working with the sales guys? Is it the sales guys not working with the lawyers? Is it marketing not communicating with the lawyers or vice versa? What do you think is broken down? Uh, in, in my experience, what I have found is that you have very aggressive marketing people and salespeople that get a great idea and run with it. They don't typically consult with the lawyers. Um, and maybe it's intentional, maybe it's an oversight, who knows. But in situations like this, these uh, programs, these campaigns um, are conducted without uh, uh, checking in with legal, um, so they don't, they're not apprised of the risks involved. And in most scenarios, if you run a campaign or any type of promotion and it, it goes awry or something's not right about it, the worst you may get is some bad PR. You don't really expect a lawsuit to occur. Unfortunately, given this law, there is um, there's a federal law. It has uncapped damages. You can get into the tens of millions very easily. easily. Um, and there's no shortage of plaintiffs who are seeking their payday on these cases. So I think that these cases are a big, big wake-up call for teams to 
uh, for the marketing and sales folks uh, at various sports teams to start getting legal involved early on. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay out pretty heavily later on. So what sort of advice would you give to um, you know, sports executives who may be listening to this or in-house lawyers who are thinking, you know what, um, I should probably get in contact with my sales team, uh, try to make sure that we're compliant with the TCPA? What would you, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, obviously, anytime there's a, a promotion that's going to touch consumers in any way, uh, sales and marketing should consult with not just lawyers but also IT um, and other stakeholders that may have some interest in the in the promotion in the campaign. That that's just that should be on the checklist. That's a 101 basic uh, a day one plan. Let's just check with the lawyers, see if there's any issues here. Lawyers in house should also be aware of these of this law um, and the implications of it. So in addition to the many other issues on an in-house lawyer's plate, uh, they need to become familiar with, may not need to know the exact wording of the law, but at least it has to be familiar with the risks involved and with the general requirements for compliance with this law. Once they hear this about this type of campaign, a light should go off in their head saying, aha, I've heard this once before, and I need to check with someone on this. And they need to get in touch with someone who does this for a living to make sure that what the campaign intends to do is compliant with the law. So I was just thinking, what is the effect this would have on consumers who may be being marketed to or via social networks, maybe using data plans on their mobile networks? Um, how does this affect that? Well, it's interesting because there is always this looming issue of engaging in social media on your mobile device and using your mobile your data uh, for participating um, but this law particularly the TCPA has not really been implicated in those types of uh, scenarios because that really speaks to a phone call it doesn't really speak to data usage so when you're on your fa on Facebook or Twitter Instagram or wherever at a stadium and you're encouraged to do something that may go into your data plan, but it's not going. It's not a phone call under the TCPA. There might be other theories under which a plaintiff's counsel may try to bring a case. Um, for example, uh, asking people to engage in a certain activity that's going to go into their data plan, um, where there's no free Wi-Fi, uh, and not disclosing that the campaign may require you to use your mobile phone. Uh, that may eat up your data plan. Um, but we've not really seen that yet. You know, is this an area you see growing? And with the lawmakers becoming more tech savvy, is this something, for example, I know the FTC are meeting later in the year to discuss native advertising. Is this something that sports teams are going to have to become a lot more aware of? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sports teams, uh, particularly as they become more aggressive in their marketing campaigns, both um, in arena and outside, not only have to be aware of uh, something, you know, the laws like the TCPA that have to do with phone calls and text messages, but they need to just be mindful of just general advertising principles. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission, which is the primary agency, uh, consumer protection agency here, um, they are it, is the, has expressed serious concern with native advertising, advertising that is made to look like the environment in which the consumer is reading or viewing content, such as watching a video or reading an article that they think is objective, but in fact is being paid for, such as sponsored content, by a company. And the belief by the consumer is that this is objective editorial, when in fact it's paid for by a company 
with an agenda. And so the FTC has started cracking down in this area. They held a workshop last year asking for information from industry and from consumer advocates, seeking input from all these various constituents as to what the potential harms are and what the impact is of this type of advertising. What's interesting, what happened at that workshop was more questions came out than were answered because it's a developing area. There's no black and white line. It's all very gray. Um, and there's just a lot of issues on both sides. What I can say is that publishers have become very sensitive to this issue and are now realizing in the publishing context that they don't want to compromise the integrity of their editorial. So many publishers are pushing back on the paid content. Now, with respect to the sports industry, there might be a partnership um, with a, for example, sports drink um, with a team and the team may want to have certain advertising or put out certain content that doesn't maybe uh, identify the sports drink company directly, but somehow hints at it or suggests that there's an involvement or a sponsorship by that sports drink, drink company. And so that then may require some disclosure, um, but we haven't really seen much activity in that area yet. Well, it is, yeah, it's 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 interesting, you know, as as, as broadcasters are, are relying more heavily on the digital space and you know relying on their own apps and the consumption of mobile devices, and they rely heavily on these partnerships with with teams, leagues, sponsors. Absolutely, um, it makes it a much more complex environment for them to operate within. And you know, the reason why I ask this is that you know how they're capturing and harvesting data in order to expand their databases, and when they get these opt-ins. You know, and as the technology is is moving so quickly, it's made it a blurred landscape, and you know, increasingly more difficult to make sure you're in compliance with these changing regulations. Absolutely, and and you bring up privacy. Um, it, right now, there is no one general privacy law in the U.S. It's very sectoral, uh, based on sensitive data. But I do foresee in the future, I, I can't say when, that there will be some type of federal law that will require not just disclosure of uh, what information we're collecting and how we intend to use it, such as California right now, they do have a law with respect to online collection of information. But there's a movement towards the, uh, having the consumer understand how their information will be used for, un uh, for purposes other than the purpose for which it was intended. So if I give my information for something, for example, whether it's in the context of an in-stadium in promotion or if I sign up, for the club, for the team loyalty program, um, will just the team use my name, or will the team share it with their sponsors? Will I start getting advertising from whether in the form of email or direct mail or even phone calls from uh, automobile companies or banks or other companies with which uh, with whom the the team has relationships? So that is a very big area that I see uh, very uh, ripe for. Um, for issues in the future. Well, Mark, uh, thank you very much for your insights today. Sadly, that's all we've got time for for this show. Um, but remember, for all your expert commentary and analysis on the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, you can go to lawinsport.com, follow us on Twitter, at lawinsport, or go to our YouTube page, TV. You can also download this podcast on iTunes or listen to it directly on SoundCloud, or you can follow me, Sean Cottrell, at Sean Law in Sport on Twitter. Well, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week.